One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time. Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids. Tony is 12 and Libby and Nate are nine. And I have two kids. Jay is seven and Kenny is four. They are all of them pretty darn adorable. And we both like to tell a quick story at the top of the episode about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are. Because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Deborah, what have your kids been up to? Okay, usually I go with an adorable story. Today, I'm not going to name names. But what I'm going to say is, if it's time to leave for school... And your child looks at you with just terror in their eyes and says, I had homework. That's a terrible start to the day. Yeah, agreed, agreed. That's how my day started. (laughs) Did you like last minute try to do it or did you just natural consequence it out? The natural consequences, like we were leaving and I had asked the previous night, does anybody have homework? Like I always do. And they, I'm just like, uh, peanuts adult, they don't listen. They're just like, no mom. (laughs) How about you? Bring me up. Okay. I have a good one. You're going to like this. (laughs) And it's super appropriate to our theme for today. We went to Universal Studios again a couple weekends ago and we ate at this restaurant where they had performers coming around doing close-up magic at your table. Ooh. And at one point, the magician was there. So it was my kids and two other kids. And the magician was encouraging them to come up with their own magic word to say. So when it was their turn to like tap the box or wave their hand or whatever, they could say their magic word. And he was prompting them because, you know, little kids aren't going to come up with something immediately. He was like, you know, like Hocus Pocus or Alakazam or Abracadabra. And Jay just said one of those things, but it came to Kenny and you could tell he was really panicked about what to say. So he said all in a rush, Hocus Pocus, I love you. (laughs) And it was the sweetest thing. My favorite moment of the week, hands down. That is really cute. Like if somebody's on the phone with someone and says, I love you to like your boss or something. That's so cute. (laughs) Let's talk about screen time in the news. I feel like this is kind of an upper of a screen time in the news article as well. You found it. It is an August 19th article from Romper by Jen McGuire. And the headline is, eating dinner with your family in front of the TV is good, actually. And the headline says it all pretty much. It's a personal anecdote about how The author felt pressure to perform dinner with her family, even though there was no one else there to see it. We have all Mm -hmm. been on the receiving end of the advice that you should all sit down at the dinner table together as a way to reconnect at the end of the day and to form lasting bonds with your children. And 
she just realized that it wasn't working for her. It wasn't working for her and her kids. They weren't having meaningful conversations and they were all just doing it and feeling pressure while they were doing it. And she said once they started eating in front of the TV, that's when they actually started having meaningful conversations without the pressure of the dinner table between them. Mm -hmm. I feel like this falls into that awesome category that even though we know it exists it's so easy to forget that what works for the ideal family will not always work for your family and what is right is not always right for you right yeah what did you think about this article I really liked the article I thought it was a fun read a well-written essay a different type of perspective I just started reading romper articles and I like them a lot and she's a writer who whose kids are a little bit older because like the little kid stuff no longer really speaks to me I've already made my mistakes in that arena I'm looking for how I can feel bad about parenting tweens and teens now right yep yep that tracks that tracks (laughs) well my family doesn't eat in front of the tv at much at all but I did when I was a kid and I'm fine. Do you eat at the family dinner table or are you like bopping around doing different things? We have a like an eat-in kitchen and that's where we primarily eat all our meals. And I mean, one nice thing about the pandemic was that we ate a lot of meals together every day. So yeah, we are generally a sit down and eat together type of family. Does it feel more nights. organic to you? Because that's what the author of this article was bringing up mostly that The concept of the family dinner table might be fine, but it did not feel natural for her family at all. You don't feel like you have to force it? Not at all. And if I did, I would be exploring other options. Mainly, okay, so the room where we, that was our like primary TV room before the pandemic has like a very nice antique wool rug in it. And so we don't, we never ate in there because I didn't want to mess up the rug. (laughs) And now we have a newish couch in our basement that used to be the playroom and I don't want to mess up the couch so it's really my uh prioritizing things over people I guess that dictates where we eat well no and it did I felt like she didn't explicitly say how old her kids were but I it felt like she was talking mostly about tweens and teens and I feel like even that small difference can be huge when you're talking about not messing up the furniture while eating. And that seems like such a silly practical consideration. But yeah, there's a reason tables are tables. They're easy to wipe off. And uh, we don't have to worry about irrevocable damage done by pasta sauce. Yeah, I'm sorry, my dog is barking. And I've also heard, read, learned that for older kids, if you're not like looking face to face, like I've heard parents and have good conversations driving in the car because you're both straight staring straight ahead and not looking at each other it can make it easier to talk about awkward stuff and I wondered if this mom was experiencing that because they're like watching some reality show talking to one another it's not so forced that is the cliche difference between male and female conversations, right? So they say that women have conversations face to face and men have conversations side by side. Right. Video game time. Yeah. Video game time. Or like the, yeah. Or the cliche <laughs> is like they're fishing, they're sitting together, staring out at the water and that's when they can open up. She right. does say that she has boys. I wonder if that at all contributes. Right. Good point. How about your family? Where do you eat dinner or other meals? Our Eden kitchen has a high top table. 
and Kenny is still small enough. I mean, it works better now, but for a while we were split and the kids were at a kid's table that was like just next to the big table. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't really facilitate conversations either. They are in general far too young to eat on the couch. If we're having like a family movie night and sometimes we'll go crazy and have it be like all snacks and that means like crackers and Mm -hmm. cheese and like things that aren't gonna make a mess then yeah we have on a couple of occasions eaten in front of the tv but it's at the point where it feels like a special occasion to do that Mm -hmm. yeah Nice. And as far as having deep conversations around the family dinner table, like they're at the age where they're still pretty open, either that or they just want to tell me stuff about Minecraft. Yeah. Should we, do you have any follow-up or should we talk about our today's topic? I'm super excited to talk about today's topic. Hocus Pocus 2 is what we watched. Um, It was released on September 30th, 2022 on Disney+. Plus. It's rated pg It runs one hour, 43 minutes, and it's produced by Walt Disney Pictures. The movie was directed by Anne Fletcher, who directed the original Step Up, the questionable rom-com 27 Dresses, The Proposal, and that cute Netflix movie about misfit teens discovering drag titled Dumplin'. She started her professional life as a dancer and choreographer and started directing in the early aughts. The screenplay was written by Jen D'Angelo, and this is her first big movie credit. She previously wrote for TV, including episodes of Cougar Town, Workaholics, and the very short-lived Young Rock. And this is, of course, the much-anticipated sequel to the 1993 Halloween classic, Hocus Pocus. So if you need a refresher, the original plot is about Max, who's a newcomer teen to Salem, Massachusetts. And she accidentally revives the Sanderson sisters, three witches who attempted to steal the souls of all the children in Salem in order to achieve eternal youth centuries ago. With the help of the school's popular girl, his little sister, and a cursed cat named Binks, Max has to prevent them from doing the same in 1993 before the sun rises on November 1st. And in the sequel we watched... Becca is a misfit witchcraft dabbler teen in modern Salem, Massachusetts, who accidentally revives the Sanderson sisters again. With the help of her two besties, one bestie is a ride-or-die friend, the other one is a newly popular girl who drifted away from the other two, Becca must keep the sisters from performing a super spell to make themselves all-powerful before the sun rises on November 1st. And the movie begins with the young alive Sanderson sisters and uh, gives them a backstory, which Katie was not fond of. (laughs) Well, everyone gets a backstory now, whether we want it or not. Why did we pick it? Because it's Halloween. We want to watch something seasonal. The original is a classic. The arrival of the sequel has been highly anticipated by Gen Xers and elder millennials like ourselves. And it's fun to see what's new for Halloween content. Yeah, well, let's get right to it. Why don't you briefly explain your experience of the original? Did you see it in theaters as a kid? I think I did. I have really fond memories of the original, but I barely remembered the plot. So you haven't watched it again with your kids? I plan to, but no, I didn't before recording. Gotcha. How about you? I have very distinct memories of seeing it in the theater as a child, being 
really quite scared, having the biggest crush on the little boy that later became Binks the cat. Because oh. <laughs> I feel like Max, the teen character, was too old for me because mm-hmm. I was only, what, 11 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I have really fond memories of it. I haven't rewatched it with the kids all that many times because they've always just felt a little young. Mm-hmm. But, and we'll get more into this later, we did rewatch it recently in preparation for the sequel coming out. Nice. I should also say I loved Bette Midler when I was a kid because of the movie Beaches, I think. Uh-huh. Just adored her. And so she was the main thing I remembered from the original. Were you looking forward to the sequel? I think I know the answer to this. Sure. Yeah. Isn't everybody looking forward to the sequel? Exactly. I mean, sometimes <laughs> we can complain about being pandered to and the fact that everything gets a sequel or a reboot or a reimagining, everything from when we were young. And sometimes we can just sit back and enjoy the fact that it's happening. And I feel like that was my anticipation for this Mm -hmm. now when reality hits the road did you like it I think I liked it a lot more than you liked it (laughs) are you interpreting my facial expressions (laughs) (laughs) I did enjoy well that and I did enjoy it but I need to watch the original and um see if that lives up to like what I remember I don't know yeah that is so often the problem with the movies we loved as kids that it's hard to get over our emotional response to them as children and see them with fresh fresh eyes as an adult. But I feel like we've been doing this long enough that we have learned that you can't be too precious about the things you liked as a kid. And some of them are terrible now. That said, I do not think the original Hocus Pocus is terrible now. Mm-hmm. I am a dyed-in-the-wool romantic, and I always, always, always like romantic storylines more than any other kind. So the fact that instead of dealing with like the budding romance trope with a little side soupçon of sibling rivalry like the first one did, this new sequel was more about like female friendships and what what to do when you get older and grow apart and what it means to grow up and stuff like that. And I know these are important themes another well-worn trope it just doesn't resonate as much for me I just don't care for it as much Mm. I didn't have that same reaction I didn't go into it expecting any kind of pot and I I wonder if this is because you have sisters and get to live your life as one of four sisters but I was, re- I found the sister plotline very compelling and the ending of the Sanderson sisters very satisfying. That's interesting that I could like it less because it more closely mirrors my own experience. <laughs> well, and maybe because I don't know, like I don't have a sister, neither does my daughter. It just always seems like a very nice thing to have in your life. So whenever I see, so maybe I feel about it the way you do with like, uh, you know, you're looking for like the Hollywood romance storyline. Maybe I'm looking for what it would be like to have a to be part of a coven of sister witches. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all, Deborah? Aren't we all? <laughs> Do you find yourself as Libby gets older having any sort of anxiety about teenage girls and their behavior towards one another? And did that contribute to your enjoyment to the movie at all? Oh, I don't think. I wasn't really thinking about that. All right. That's fair. While I was watching it. I applaud your 
ability to compartmentalize. <laughs> <laughs> that I do like that trope though, where the, like the one friend gets cooler and ditches the other friend. That's in a lot of other movies. It's very relatable for anybody who's gone to high school. Let's talk about the cast and characters. Obviously, the big draw for this movie was the reunion of the big three. You have Bette Midler, obviously, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy as the Sanderson sisters, and they are all back for this movie. What did you think of their performances here? I loved them. They're such pros. They're so good. Double heart emoji. They could not have done it better, I I didn't think. They did a really good job at making them look ageless. I mean, you could tell that Bette Midler was a little bit older, but I'll be darned if Sarah Jessica Parker didn't look the same as she did in 1993. I know, and that was 30 years ago? She may actually be feasting on the souls of children. Is that, that myth is right, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Just incredible. And I thought, I, I thought that um, they were super fun. I thought everybody was great. I didn't recognize any of the kids, but the main character, Becca, is played by Whitney Peak, who is in the new Gossip Girl show. You watched that, right? That reminds me, I need to watch that. Uh, okay, it's still on the two watch list. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't, the other two from the trio of girls, Belissa Escobedo and Lilia Buckingham, I didn't recognize them from anything. Me neither. There were a couple of big name grown-ups in there. We had Tony Hale from Veep and Arrested Development, and he played a dual role as the evil pastor from the Sanderson sisters backstory and the mayor of modern day Salem. He was also the father to the popular friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was funny as always. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but I just felt like every little extra thing they added took away from what I really wanted to be seeing which was Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy being wacky witches. I didn't really care about Tony Hale getting his candied apple. I thought those scenes were fine, but yeah, me too. I could have watched just if the three Sanderson sisters could have been in every frame of the movie. I would have liked that way more. Yeah, for sure. And the whole, he was playing a dual character and they touched on that a little bit, but they were like, oh, the mayor just looks like his ancestor. They could have spun it in so many fun ways with like reincarnation and what Mm -hmm. it means to like carry forward the sins of your ancestors. But they didn't do any of that. So it was in that (laughs) sense, a little bit of a lost opportunity not to take anything away from Tony Hale's performance. He was, again, very funny, as he always Mm -hmm. is. Another weird character, because this movie (laughs) was not without its weird characters. The actress Hannah Waddingham from Ted Lasso played this witch that comes to the young alive Sanderson sisters at the beginning of the movie and essentially explains to them that they're witches and then disappears forever like she doesn't come back she's not like a mentor to them when they first introduced her I could have sworn she was gonna like come back and save the day in like modern times she was gonna be like the Glenda the Good Witch and appear in a bubble or something Mm -hmm. but no she was just 
I guess, an exposition factory or like fulfilling the need for us to have this absurd backstory for the Sanderson sisters that no one cared about to begin with. And then it was just so flimsy. Yeah, I wondered what like the original intention of that might have been and like what got cut out of the script or what got cut from the production, because I would have liked to see her interact with the Sanderson sisters. I mean, everybody loves a good training montage. What about a funny training montage? Oh, that would be good. Also, yeah. she could sing. There could be like a musical element. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, another real missed opportunity. The one kind of big name adult actor that they did use, I think, as he was intended to be used, was Gilbert, who was played by Sam Richardson, who's been in a ton of things. The ones that just jumped out to me were Detroiters, also Ted Lasso, and also Veep. Mm -hmm. So he was the instigator of all the magical mischief. He owned the magic shop that took over the Sanderson sisters' house. And he, yeah, kind of instigated the return of the Sanderson sisters in modern day. What did you think of Gilbert? I liked him a lot. I thought his exploits with the like skeleton ghost were very funny. Had a nice rapport with the young girls who were patrons of his shop. I thought he was great. Here's my question, and this is treading into writing territory, but they use Gilbert as a way to get the witches back. Mm -hmm. In the original movie, the way that the witches come back is Max is trying to impress this popular girl. Mm -hmm. So it's accidentally his fault that they return. Do you think it would have been more effective to have one of the trio of main girls be the one that was involved in bringing them back? Why did we involve this outside adult character when we had so many other characters going on? I yeah, because he tricked he tricked them into bringing right the witches back. Right. Um, I was kind of bothered by that scene in the store when he's talking about how to bring them back, and they're like, somebody asked like what a virgin is, and he just like glosses over it like it's a really touchy subject and like in my parenting I try to be like really matter of fact with terms like that and just like say what it is not act like it's a big deal or something we have to shy away from or be secret about you know what I mean because I want to keep the channels open for communication <laughs> so I didn't care for that and like after that scene Libby was like what's a virgin and I was like somebody who hasn't had sex yet and my kids were like oh no big deal would you have felt differently if he had said what I expected him to say in that moment which was that's a question for your mom and dad kids that would have been better yeah, because yeah. I can kind of see how Disney didn't want to open that firestorm as like accidentally being the company that teaches your kids what a virgin is. True. That would have been a much better way you should write them. And tell them <laughs> <laughs> Going forward. <laughs> Any other characters? I neglected to write down the return of the zombie, Billy, who I don't even know if it was the same actor from the original, but that was a really funny callback. If anything, we got more of Billy, I thought, than we did of the Sanderson sisters, which was kind of sad, but... Right. What did you think about the look of the movie? The original was made in 1993, so the effects were of the time. But instead of making more realistic effects, since they have the technology to do that now in 2022... They've kept things looking distinctly budget-friendly. 
do you think this was because they knew they didn't need to spend extra on effects to attract nostalgic parents? Or because they knew they were releasing on a streaming platform instead of on the big screen? Or did you just not notice it at all and I'm overthinking things? I guess to my mind, I did not notice that it was budget friendly. I thought it looked like it there was cohesiveness between the original and this one. And maybe that's what they were going for. Oh, that's a good way to put it. I didn't think that the effects were bad. Again, I'm thinking of the end scene when they're kind of like disappearing into the ether. That seemed like good CGI to Oh, me. you're right. No, that wasn't bad. Are you thinking of like the first scene with- I'm thinking of like the, the zaps when they like have magic coming out of their fingers. Oh, yeah, that did have kind of a 90s look to it, for sure. Especially since now we're used to just seeing like people make gestures with their hands and then we see the effects. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily need the tiny lightning bolts. Is that what the original looks like? Is that the same type of effect? Uh, I don't remember. I wonder how those Hollywood people work. Do they, you know how like sometimes libraries will have something in their collection where they need to get like a really old type of technology to view it again? Uh-huh. Do you think there's like a antique archive of old movie effect making equipment and they're like gotta go back into the vault Hmm. I don't know I think I'd be willing to guess that the movie industry is just as bad at maintaining old technology as every other industry is so if they were trying to they would have to scramble to find it so talk to me about the writing who did they write this for Did they write it for kids or did they write it for parents? This is kind of a rhetorical question because obviously they tried to write it for both groups. Did you find that it was more successful one way or the other? I think they definitely made the movie for us because I have seen all kinds of social media hype created by mostly women, I think, around our ages saying they're super excited for Hocus Pocus 2. And maybe that's just who latched onto it, but it felt very made for me. I did watch it with my kids. Two of them failed. Libby's the only one who watched the whole thing. And then when it was over, she was like, I'm not even sure I liked that movie. I'm with you, Libby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was talking with friend of the pod, Amy, about this, and she, she thought it was definitely made for the adults in the room. If that was the case, I just wish they'd have leaned into it more. Again, with spending so much time on the Tony Hale character, with mm-hmm. not foregrounding the witches as mu- or the grown-up witches as much as I wanted them to, it was like if you know that you're doing this for the parents, you don't need to engage in all that unnecessary frippery. Right. Those three women actresses though are like big 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 stars now. Maybe they were like, we're here for two days. Maybe they, I don't know, maybe the script was written to accommodate them making like an appearance, but not being the whole thing. I don't know. Then is it worth it? Should we even have bothered making it if that was the case? Oh, I think it was worth it. <laughs> but we can dis- we can disagree for sure. Obviously, Bette Midler, we had to use music in this movie. The original used music to great effect in that Winnie, the witch played by Bette Midler, sang a version of I Put a Spell on You on stage at a Halloween party and literally put a spell on everyone. 
They felt the need to have a mirror scene in this movie, which again, Bette Midler, I understand. You got to have singing. Mm-hmm. And she sang One Way or Another. That's the title of the song, right? I think so. And I didn't find it to be nearly as effective. I didn't think it was as good a choice. I would have taken a reprise or some sort of remix of I Put a Spell on You instead. What did you think? I am torn about this a little bit. Of course, you want Bette Midler to sing. But if there's going to be a song, make it a musical or don't have any music at all. Okay. Is where I fall. And it felt like pretty organic to the original, at least. Kind of like in the same way that at the end of Back to the Future, they have like that whole scene where Michael J. Fox jams to Johnny Be oh, Good. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't find myself thinking, well, they should just make Back to the Future a musical. So it felt like more of a piece with the plot. Whereas this, yeah, you could see, you could see that being written into Bette Midler's contract. But then they shoved another song at the beginning when the witches first appeared. They like sang a little ditty to no one in particular. And there was no such scaffolding in the plot. Like they happened to be at a party with a stage. Right. I and it was that first song that made me think, oh, it's going to be a musical. And then it wasn't, which decide one or the other. Exactly. And then they did have a really weird musical ending like over the credits where it was like split screens of the three different witches singing Mm -hmm. like in a recording studio and they weren't actually together and that felt very much more like oh well we just got these women while we had them so we we filmed some takes of them singing this song and we put it all together and that was fun and if you want to do that that's fine but the way that they tried to integrate it into the plot in this one sadly did not work for me Mm-hmm. Right. Let's talk about the structure and length. I was trying to think, and do they even release live action kids movies into theaters anymore? Or is it only animated movies? What about Secret Headquarters? Was that? It's only streaming. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I was trying to even think when the last, and I'm talking even pre-pandemic, when the last non-animated, like, big live-action kids movie would have even been? Hmm. I think that's a good question. Oh, wait. Are we counting, like, Disney remakes of cartoons? Because I guess that counts. That's kind of a different genre don't you think that's like a micro genre sort of yeah it's like some weird amalgam of the two yeah I just I wonder if the weaknesses I saw in the plot are excusable because this is just essentially a tv movie Mm -hmm. and I Mm. know we've had those conversations about like we shouldn't be making so much of a distinction between theatrically released and streaming content anymore because there's a ton of great stuff being released on streaming and I wish I had a way to articulate this better but you know Deborah when we're sitting down to enjoy a sneakerella Mm -hmm. we are not expecting it to hang together as a plot in the same way that we would for a theatrically released movie the stakes are certainly lower for a movie that you watch at home on opening weekend which is what we did I don't know I just I think in general I thought it was a real missed opportunity and it could have been better and I don't want to poo-poo any of the creative people involved and I might cut this but (laughs) when I looked at the writer's credits I was kind of shocked that they would have handed this to essentially a first-time feature writer Mm. such a beloved franchise 
It seems mm-hmm. like a big swing to take. And maybe Disney was like, oh, well, you know, it's just on Disney Plus. It doesn't ultimately really matter. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. And it's always really hard to tell, like, who had their hands in what and what was the intention. Because sometimes theater releases are, like, focus grouped so much that they take the humor right out of them because they're trying to, like, hit the common denominator. And that's just not... Then it's not funny for anyone because it's trying to be funny for too many people. You're exactly right. That's true. But it's not like this felt like it was taking particular risks in any way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I just think it could have been more. It could have been more satisfying. They should have leaned into the trio. They should have leaned into the fact that it Mm -hmm. really is for nostalgic Gen Xers and elder millennials. Mm -hmm. And they really could have had something special on their hands. Mm-hmm. You ready to Can move on to Evergreen? Let's talk about those. What adult movie or show does this compare to? <laughs> thinking about sequels we were deeply disappointed by. I was kind of thinking about Legally Blonde 2, which I found to be mm. wildly disappointing. It's so easy. Sequels are so rarely, they so rarely live up to the original. Yeah, I thought about The Hangover. Oh, yeah, they did go back to that well too many times. Too many times. And that is a movie where, like, the original was so funny with the ensemble buddy bro cast. (laughs) Ooh, ooh, speaking of bros, this is a good one, too. Did you see the kind of sequel to Knocked Up, This Is 40? Oh, yes, I did. So many good people involved, and it was so bad. That was disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing. I wanted to like it. Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? I barely needed to do anything here because we know that Bette Midler can be raunchy and body and funny as heck, right? Mm-hmm. We saw a little of that in Beaches, your fave. Um, <laughs> so I want this trio of Sanderson sisters to just be like, cursing and like dirty as all get out but I want them Mm -hmm. to be playing foil to some seriously self-serious teenagers like the cast of euphoria (laughs) so this is a mashup I would like to see because I can see Bette Midler coming in there with like her broad body humor and just like getting the stink eye from these teenagers that not only are they not scared, but they are so deeply unimpressed. (laughs) That's a good one. I like that. (laughs) How about you? Well, I was thinking, I mean, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy and Jamie, they're not going to be around forever. So who's going to be the Sanderson sisters in 30 years, maybe? So... I went with Beanie Feldstein, Amrit Kaur. She's from Sex Lives of College Girls. Which one is she? She's like the Indian American. The funny one. Yes, super funny. And then Devery Jacobs, who plays Alora on Reservation Dogs. Have you watched that? I have still not watched it, and it is definitely on my must-watch list. Is it? Is it as good as everyone says? I... Loved it so much. Yeah. Two things. Watch Reservation Dogs is really, really good. And also, Debra Jacobs is 29 years old. She's playing a high school girl. Believably, was it better when we were kids? 
Obviously, yes. Yeah. This did not dim my nostalgic love for the original, thankfully. Yeah. Would you watch this alone voluntarily? No. And I probably won't no. watch it again with my kids. Bummer. Yeah, I probably won't watch it again. But in the month of October, we will watch the original. Yeah, yeah, my kids hung with it through most of the original, and I don't think it was at all too scary for Jay. Kenny's attention span is such that we can easily gloss over scary things because he'll just go do something else. Oh, that's good. Ten seconds on whether this is good for our kids? I think I just said it. What do you think? <laughs> I think it's fine, but there are probably better Halloween movies that you can yeah, find. Yeah. Ratings? How old do you think your kids will be before you have them watch Beaches? I mean, I was probably around Libby's age when I watched it. So maybe soon. I mean, how else is she going to learn what an over-the-shoulder boulder holder is? (laughs) Right. Ratings? I'm going to say 3.5. And I'm going to go just slightly lower with a 3. This was not good. But it was not terrible. And it definitely Mm -hmm. benefits from fondness for the original. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. If you enjoyed our show today, please share it with someone you think might enjoy it too. You can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at My Screen Time 2, or send us an email to myscreentime2 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our website is myscreentime2.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV we watch with our kids because we have to, and sometimes because we like to. Bye! Bye! Screen time! Screen time! Screen time!